Maj, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I wanted to have you here because uh, I was listening to your speech at the Libertarian National Convention. Yeah. And I think you gave one speech. Did you give more than one or just one? No, just that one for that night at, 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 you know, at the, the mixer. Yeah, and so I, I didn't hear it live, but I, I had read about it and people were saying great things about it. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to look it up and I'm going to listen to it. What was it that you were trying to convey in that speech? And for people who are listening who don't know enough about the convention, I want to give just a little bit, bit of background, which is that this year the convention was maybe a little more contentious than normal because there's a caucus called the Mises Caucus and they – Worked and they worked hard to uh, try to get enough uh, delegates to take control of the convention and take control of the party. Yeah. And uh, you attended an event and you were um, there as one of their invited guests to speak. There were other people that night, like Ron Paul. There were a number of people there, but you were invited to speak. And so you were speaking to this crowd primarily at this event. What was it that you were trying to convey? Well, at that speech, with that little breakdown, in essence, it was a few things. One, it wasn't – it was primarily to, you know, Meekhawks at that event because they, they have worked very hard. Um, I know a lot of those guys and, and gals, and I think, you know, uh, uh, I think one of, the, one of the past chairs said something like, yo, the party belongs to who shows up. And I think these guys did a good job of making sure that they showed up. Um, like them or hate them. And so I was primarily talking to that group, but I was also speaking to libertarians outside of the caucus um, and other caucuses or people that completely disagree with the caucus because, you know, one of the the, the basic uh, portions of that conversation was, you know, you have to make, okay, you guys had a bitter fight. Now that you've had a bitter fight, you still have to extend an olive branch to people. Liberty doesn't mean that you just, you know, only work with people that you agree with. You don't just agree with stuff and be like, well, since you view it differently, I'm not going to work for liberty with you. Um, so that portion of it was more so outside of just the Meekhawks. But the, the, the primary message there was, you know, you guys done a, did a lot of work to get into this space. And now when the dog catches the chase, the car that it's been chasing for however long, now what? You know, this this freedom concept, man. We can say what we want about, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the black community and, and there's a lot of democratic thought process around how America is, you know, treats the black community. And that translates a lot of times as America's horrible. But I've had the fortune to be able to go to other countries where um, you don't you might not even have this little thing called due process. And so, you know, catching catching that thing that you've not even really understood thoroughly because you've been the underdog or getting in the seat of power or knowing what it takes to actually run a machine that you might've thought was corrupt or whatever. That's a whole nother set of changes. That's a whole nother set of challenges. And so in essence, it was, you know, kudos to the team for, for, for securing a victory. They, 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 I mean, it's a sweep, you know, but at the same time, like, don't get comfortable, bro. You just got yourself in a position where you can move the libertarian party in a direction that you're now an actual, you know, if, if these ideas that we all are passionate about 
you know, and if the party starts gaining traction, you are a potential threat. And threats in D.C. and the world over are not taken lightly. Yeah. So it was, in essence, just sharing with them, like, that's great. You've got some work done. That's like me saying, you know, we got our first half a million dollars raised for Black Guns Matter and gave it away to, to armed communities and educate them on safe and responsible gun ownership. That's cute. That's only a half of a million dollars. And you did some great work. But if you start resting on your laurels, you know, um, we saw this with I, I did a, a post in the caucus group. You know, we saw this when Trump won. We saw everybody go like, yeah. And then it became, oh, well, the only people that the other side has is the best that they got is Biden. Clearly, he's senile type of vibe. And that energy was there. And you lost. You lost, you know, and, and some could say the cheating, this. I don't care. What I do know is, you know, um, you would have had more support from the Second Amendment. And I'm talking more about the Trump administration. You would have had more support from the Second Amendment community outside of just the NRA or FUDs. If when you had the House and, you know, in the Senate, if you would have got some, maybe the Hearing Protection Act pushed through where silences would have got off the NFA list. Maybe mm -hmm. you would have criminalized cannabis. Maybe you would have had some more, but you weren't thinking about that because you're like, yo, our guys are going to be in there for two terms. And I explained that in that, that post. And that's, in essence, what I was trying to translate to the guys over there that night. It's like, this is a great victory to put things in a direction, but also your brothers and sisters that you were just fighting tooth and nail with, you all still have to go outside and the real enemy's outside. The enemy of liberty is actually outside. And I, I, won't, I won't even say Americans you know, necessarily are enemies of liberty, per se. But what I mean by, about that is the Democratic Party and even the GOP, the Republican Party, you're, you're a new ki kid on the block and power is not going to be this easy. We have ideas. So these ideas are great enough. Like those people play dirty. It's not it's not a, it's not a joke. So that's kind of like with the synopsis of what the actual uh, speech was that night. It was it, it got grim. I was I was <laughs> down there for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I know what that's like. I sometimes give some pessimistic sounding speeches myself. <laughs> um, so were you a member of another party in the past? I've been a member of the Republican Party. I've been a member of the Democratic Party. It's like I was raised Christian, you know, and most black communities mostly raised Christian. But then I started to evolve into different things and I had questions. And some of these, it was very similar. Some of the um, policies or politicians that I would ask for, similar to um, pastors, couldn't really give me an answer. So I just kept evolving. Um, and that's, that, that swiftly happened. I, I most recently, was, you know, because, again, I was raised Democrat, but I was a member of the Republican Party. I think that, you know, my, my uh, uh, fascination with guys like Frederick Douglass, who was a, like, top-tier Hall of Fame, like, conservative value um, dude, and just his strength, you know, and him being pro-Republican, and that's what I gravitated to initially. Um, but, I, but I see the limitations. I see the limitations in all of them, to be quite, quite honest. I see the limitations in the Libertarian Party. I see some of the limitations in the Libertarian Party that we have to change. Similarly to the li limitations that I saw when I was trying to communicate with, I go to CPAC damn near every year. I speak at CPAC pretty much every year. And for the last, let's say, four years. And I'm like, dude, you guys are dropping the ball right here. This is like, again, I, I literally on CPAC stage right before President Trump, I gave a breakdown of why the conservative or Republican uh, Party and conservative movement is failing because they're not highlighting their greatest assets. Guys like Frederick Douglass, you can't if the if the left has packaged you as racist 
and you got a top tier Hall of Fame, you know, uh, uh, conservative example in Frederick Douglass that you're not using and Ida B. Wells that you're not using, you're going to lose. So I see those limitations, especially with the old leadership over at the Libertarian National. So I was a member of all three of those parties and everybody consistently evolves. Some of my friends are like, yo, in five years, you're going to be completely anarchist or whatever, whatever. So we'll see what happens. What about the issue the Libertarian Party has that it tends to attract mostly young white men and does not do a good enough job of reaching out to other people? And this seems to also be a problem within the Mises Caucus too. It's not unique to the Mises Caucus because the party as as a whole has been attractive to young white men primarily Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason. What do you think is the cause of that and what can be done? Because the party in general, not just the Mises, this is what I will say about, you know, guys like Mike Heiss. I ran for city council in Philadelphia and I, Mike had asked me years ago and I was like, dude, I'm not doing that. He's like, but Maj, you're a libertarian, but you don't you don't even really. And I'm like, bro, I'm st- at the time I'm like, bro, when we having that conversation, bro, I'm still registered as a Republican. Like, you know what I mean? And so he kind of recognized that even even when we got pushback, like. Nah, this culture thing, we have to figure out a way. And the pushback that he was getting about me was from most of the guys that were just ousted last weekend. So in that sense, I think I want to credit him um, with seeing that vision, you know, Uh, same as I credit him with grabbing guys like Ian Smith. He's a Republican, but he's like, dude, this dude gets liberty, you know what I'm saying? Or at least reaching out and trying to, you know, extend those olive branches. But again, that does not mean that the Mises wasn't suffering from that. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't have the, um, if there's not candidates around that fit that cool urban without looking like a pander, it'll be a pander if you just like, hey, let's get the black urban dude. You know what I'm saying? But I think they're making strides in that right direction. I also think that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be as vocal if I didn't think it, because I've heard that before. I heard that when I tried to work with the NRA. You know, we got a big ship. We're trying to make some changes. We got to do better. If you hear that three years in a row at a national convention, annual convention, you start to go, okay, this is just just lip service. Um, And I've seen that in the party in general, again, especially with the old leadership, well, kind of old, that I had, you know, over there at national. When they invited me to be the keynote speaker at one of the conventions, and then I guess it became more clear that, you know, I was more in alignment or their perception was I was more in alignment with the, you know, the, the Mises caucus that got discredited and threw out of the wind. And when it was because of a, something completely taken out of context, these guys actually went to the Philadelphia, you know, daily news and told them that, Oh, he's problematic. These are people that are supposed to be in my party. And so that leadership that did that to me is now gone. Um, and so, that doesn't mean that there's still not a struggle or the, the numbers are still the numbers. Even at that speech, I, that was one of the things I was very critical of the team about. It's, you know, I said that everybody in here that happens to be melanated or black, raise your hand. You know, and it was peppered throughout. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of the areas. The Democrats are amazing. They don't have to even do anything that they say they do, but they're very good at outreach and community engagement. And I think even going back to Trump, I think he made some strides in that area because he was at least willing to be there and talk to trash that he talked. I remember when he was, I think it was campaigning, it might have been Detroit, and he said, uh, you got no jobs, you go outside, you get shot, 
a vote for me. What do you got to lose? All of my homies was like, hey, I, I completely understand that. Like, what, I mean, it's not going to get any better. And even after that administration, say what you want. I think Trump was not strong on the Second Amendment. I think that he was, you know, kept in the line of the war hawks that already predecessed before him. Um, but say what you want, at least that engagement that got that bump in that numbers in that community. And I think that even if I disagree, my, my community, urban America, even if we disagree with you, we want you to not sugarcoat it for us. If you don't like me, tell me you don't like me. So we know to go somewhere else. If you are a womanizer, if you just want to, whatever your thing is, can you do the job? And I think that that res resonates. And I think that the old guard at the, at the national party and, and a few of the caucuses has suffered from the inability to do that. And I, I would say that that's changed. And I'm only saying that's changed because of my personal relationship with Mike and watching him without talking, watching him and seeing what he does, even outside of me. Who, who are you guys reaching out? Who are you trying to pull in? I think the caucus understands culture. And I think they were hamstringed um, a little bit by the old leadership. And that's why they had to put their nose to the grindstone and in essence, take over the party, for lack of a better term. Do you consider yourself a member of the Mises Caucus? Because I'm not super familiar with who's a member and who's not and who's just supportive of the caucus. Are you a member or do you consider yourself a representative of the Mises Caucus? I can't even say the word representative because that, that has a different connotation. That has like – that's like if I say, you know, I, I, I buy a bunch of H&Ks, right? This is an H&K. I have a bunch of H&Ks around. I'm not really until it's official. I'm not a representative. If somebody asks me, it's like, damn, do you get paid for H and K? Do you get paid for Glock? You know what I'm saying? But if, if someone like, oh, so you're a rep? Like, nah, I'm not a rep. I do rep what they're about. I do, I do think that that caucus understands uh, liberty. I'm, I'm, I wasn't even. I'm going to become a, a, a national, uh, excuse me, a lifetime member of the National Party here in the next day or so because I like the direction of who's taking over. I fell back from libertarian parties and caucuses that had anything to do with it at all because i'm like bro i can't bring people i'm a point guard i, I send people in a direction i can't send people from my demographic even if i'm cool with mike and the caucus guys and all of that and they've helped i can't send people to the national party if national is going to treat urbans like urban americans like trash or treat them like me because they don't understand the culture i'm aggressive i speak slang i, I you know i smoke weed i you know, I shoot guns. I hang out. You know what I'm saying? And so these are the things that um, culture has to be right. I can't bring people in and they be treated like the other. So I fell back off of everything. And I, and I just watched. I watched for like a year or so. You know, I, I, I popped my head out here and there. Everybody knew I was on social media all over the place, you know, that I was a libertarian. You know, similarly to a uh, big boy from Outcast, he's been a libertarian for like 20 years at this point, but he's just quiet about it. The, I think everybody, even with the internecine rivalries and splinters and all of that other stuff, which I do not think is good for the overall liberty movement. I just don't. Um, however, I think that everybody can still, from all of those different factions, can understand um, that the ideology, it's better than what we're seeing in all of these other political parties. Like, it's, it, you know... So I'm I'm close to these guys. I'm a, I'm a re up on membership. I'm gonna get up in their memberships on everything, but I needed to watch first, man, because I, I can't be pointing people in the direction where they're gonna run into a brick wall.
So what about the the accusations people make that the Mises caucus is the one that is is moving away from um, discussing issues like race, that they want to shy away from that stuff. They don't want to deal with urban issues. They want to deal with more of the middle America issues because there are people who will say from from the other side of this, mm-hmm. well, well, we're the ones who care about cities, urban communities, and it's the Mises people who are saying, no, 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 we've got to reach out more to like sort of Trump America rather mm-hmm. than the people who live in the cities. So it's a few things. All of those people that say that, that are now ousted, were the people that kicked me out because I'm urban. Like, I can go by my lived experience. My lived experience, you know, the people that were with me on that campaign, and again, obviously National can't get involved in my local campaign, right? But the people that showed up, that was like, yo, I, I totally understand. Even, even if we were going back and forth a bit, right? If they was giving me pushback, it was like, yo, that's your culture and your community. That's your subculture. But I don't know about that one. Like, for example, me saying like, bro, we are not going to do door knockers. We're not spending money for our campaign on door knockers. Everybody in the hood hates door knockers. We hate them. We hate them. One, people know that you're not home for a very long time if you have a door knocker on your door knob and you haven't been there for a long time. That means if there's two or three of those over days or, you know, fast food menus, we can rob this house and right. people would know that. So even initially going me saying, nah, we're not doing door knockers. People from, you know, certain caucuses was like, yo, I don't know if that's a smart move, but I, I don't know. I don't know about that, that, that culture. Right. But the people that were like, you know, and, and, I, and I'll say some names, you know, Nick Sarwark like lied on me, like lied like there's there's no there's no initially we were very friendly. And again, I've extended the olive branch to him as well. After all of this riffing and whatever's nobody's going to fight anybody. Nobody's going to go to jail over something stupid. Nobody wants to violate the net. So so what because he's not here to defend himself. And I don't know the I don't know the issue. So what was it you're saying he lied about? So when we when I said, yo, you told you told the Philadelphia Daily News when I'm like getting ready for a campaign, like in a campaign that you guys removed me from the keynote speaker because I was problematic. There's these types of vague statements that what does problematic mean? Did I violate the nap? Did I hit somebody? Did I assault somebody? Because I can understand that the argument was about, oh, well, you said some things that was like the transphobia thing. That's the thing that's floated around. Right. Mines is a transphobe. He has trans whatever, whatever. And it was like, all right, cool, bro. I, I'm not arguing against you. I think, but it was, to, and from my perspective, it was more, you don't like that I'm closer with the M- Mises caucus because these guys get it and they are in support of the, the, the subculture that I come from. Um, so I think, I think all of those things, when you say that argument that these Mekok guys are the guys that's pushing in the, the Nazis and the white supremacists, my lived experience is the people that are accusing them of that, right? I know the founder of the Mises Caucus. This is the person that was like, dude, we need you in this space. Like, these are not things that the other guys that are saying that, and they may be saying it to everybody else. But to me, it's the opposite. The people that said, no, he's not welcome here, that we're going to get him out of this. The people that have been very abrasive, and, and I don't just mean because they disagreed with me on some things. That's nothing. I'm saying the people that went out of them their ways to personally attack me, 
seemed to, for whatever reason, not be in the Mises caucus. So it's, it, it looked like somebody throwing stones and hiding their hands to me. And so and I say that with, you know, no uh, malice or negative uh, judgment. Nobody died. Nobody took anybody's money. Nobody destroyed anybody's like vehicles or anything. So I say that from just a, 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 a fact of the matter standpoint. And so if, if the Meekhawks are like running into like bringing the Nazis in, they're doing a great job of hiding them every single time that I'm around. Like even when they don't know I'm looking and I'm looking. So that's been my lived experience with it. So you mentioned Michael Heiss a few times. And just for people who are listening, he's the head of the Mises Caucus and yeah. he helped organize uh, a lot of this delegate strategy. Yeah. Um, just so people who are listening who don't know. Right, right. Um, so when you talk about the Mises caucus, and we'll get back to some of that stuff you yeah. talked about because I didn't want to touch on some of it. Yeah. When when you talk about the Mises caucus translating the libertarian message to to reach urban America, what do you mean? How are they able to do that? What is What is it that you think they are doing that maybe previous – administrations have not done within the libertarian party they're not pretending like they know the answer they're connecting and networking with actual people that know what they're talking about in that subculture for lack of a better term and not doing this like we know best like this whole like oh uh we have to do it this way and we gotta it's starting to look too pandery and i'm like bruh that's that, that that's not gonna reach us it just doesn't we go okay we hear that all i'm talking when i say we i mean urban america Black America, like we like, bro, the ideology is great. Just let it be the ideology. We don't need all of the extra sprinkles on top. We actually don't like the sprinkles, you know. And so stepping back and going, yo, Maj has done work for Black Guns Matter. Maj, you know, some of the things might be a little harsh, but he understands the demographic. He can translate that better than we could. I think other organizations, people or caucuses have tried to speak for and say what the approach should be in a demographic that quite frankly they never been to never lived in don't know nothing about and i think there's a complex there there's a like yo if i if i don't like so for example you know dc you know it there's like okay maj you know dc when you go there and hang out i'm not gonna like tell you like nah 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 justin this is how you gotta handle dc like, mm-hmm. it's, it's stupid for me to do that, right? I think that getting out of the way, again, I'm a point guard. I don't have to score for us to win. I just have to help my team see the floor the way that I see the floor and keep dishing a rock to the people that the, our opposition, do, do, you know, they don't have an answer for. So I think that's a thing that they do very well. At, and again, I'm not dissing any of the other caucuses or anybody else, but I think to me that kind of stands out. When you can fall back and let go of your will to necessarily want to control and dominate in a space where it's like, yo, liberty looks like this for this group of people, and it's in this package. And if we are in, in, in alignment on some of those core principles, the outliers will let rock out. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's let's take um, a caller. We got sure. J. Mark here. Yeah. J. Mark, you gotta unmute yourself. Where you at, Jay? I don't know. 
he's there. I apologize. I'm just listening tonight. Thank you, though. Okay, he must have uh, he must have gotten in the queue on accident. Yeah. All right, we'll uh, we'll move you out of the queue, Jay. Okay. All right. So let me ask you about some of the messaging again, because I get what you're saying about. Uh, talking to people who are on the ground who know the communities and making sure that they are the ones advancing the strategy for reaching people in the community. That makes sense to me Mm -hmm. Uh, because you can't, you can't figure that stuff out from some other city far away and you don't know the community. I, I, I get that. What about the kind of messaging that we've sometimes seen from some parts of the Mises caucus? And I'm not trying to paint them all a certain way because, because I, I understand that anytime you have a political party or anytime you have a caucus and it's really big, you're going to have some people who say some things and some other people who don't like what's said. And um, some of it will reflect badly on people, but like it's not necessarily their views. So there's been an issue, particularly with the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Yeah. And and I'm not saying, again, I'm not trying to paint. All of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire this way, but sometimes the they say uh, dumb. the the Twitter account has said some really yeah I, dumb stuff. Let's put it that yeah. way. I'm gonna try yeah. to like yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, uh, I'm not gonna drop too many uh, yeah. dirty words myself, but it's dumb stuff. So for example, they said racism is. They said this, okay. And yeah. it's like it's. I, I, it's I'm so, willing, to, willing to bet you it's the tweet that I gave them pressure on. I'm I think it, it might be. So like, it's 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 so absurd that it's almost funny, but it says racism is pretty much a non-issue in America. Libertarians suffer more oppression than black people. Yeah, <laughs> and then <laughs> then they followed up by saying anyone disputing this is denying our lived experience. Lib- libertarian lives matter. Now. Isn't stuff like that really detrimental to what you're trying to do in terms of reaching people and detrimental to the party as a whole? So if, if, if you're trying to – yes and no. If you're trying to get into urban America or black America and make the conversation about actual liberty and libertarianism, if that's your lead-in, yeah, that's going to be detrimental. It's not if you don't if if the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire or to even isolate it a little bit more, if the person that controls the Twitter handle of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, who has free access to say anything at any given moment, that person isn't thinking. I think back to when um, when Dave Chappelle said when they when they first made his first season of the show, they the show was funny because. It was on like Comedy Central. And at the time, no, no one's watching Comedy Central at that time. And he was like, we were able to just pretty much do whatever we want, make off color jokes, do whatever, because we just played it like, yeah, nobody's watching. We got this deal and we got this show, but nobody's watching this. But in turn, over time, two or three seasons later, Dave has to go to Africa and step back from Hollywood because now everybody's watching. And so I think that that Twitter handle or whoever controls it, I, I actually, you know, approached them about it. I, I reached out to some folks and was like, yo, find me the actual person that runs this Twitter account because they got some issues. And they, one, it's horrible of a look and I'm not going to be associated with it. It's the same thing that I ran into with 
um, Brandon Tatum from the Republican Party. He was a buddy of mine. Every time you turn around now, you know, once he, he starts looking like me, he grows his beard. He starts wearing his hat backwards, whatever, whatever. And I get it. Cool. I, me coming in being myself un, unapologetically makes some people feel a little bit more comfortable. Right. Maybe I could wear a hoodie and some jeans and I'm not mad at that. But when you do that and you look like you're what black conservative values are or, you know, and you're making my job more difficult because you go and say, you know, maybe Ahmaud Arbery deserved it. Right. When you say things like that, it does make the job difficult. So but I can't make that be a sweeping indictment of the entire team at Blexit because he works with Blexit, the entire team at Turning Point which I disagree with the vast majority of their talking points, right? However, that's Brandon Tatum. And I got I publicly was like, bro, I got to make sure that we under, people understand that there's a clear distinction between the two of us because I can't let it look like, similarly, I can't make it make, have it look like because the Libertarian Party, um, A, was controlled by people for some time now that genu- genuinely didn't have a real interest in reaching urban America. And then on top of that, because it, it looks, you know, white all day long, even though every black person that I talk about, uh, talk about libertarian ideology too gets it. They like, yo, what party is this? Why have I never heard of this? Right. I still have to do things to make sure that people in my demographic understand that those are isolated incidents by a person that's running an account. Not this is indicative of every single libertarian or every caucus or any one particular caucus. But yeah, that's, you know, it, it sets us back because it's like, if I show my homies and they just happen to get on the Twitter search and this is the one that's getting the traction right now because he just said something outlandish, my homies going to go like, bro, this is what you want me to come be. A- These guys think that race doesn't exist in America. You know, so, yeah, it could absolutely have some pushback. But I, I, I chopped it up with those guys or whoever that was in there. They, they kind of retracted some of it. But it's always going to be people that's like every so often on some goofy vibe. And I think it's very important to allow them the room to be goofy. But I also have the room to highlight their goofy and then go, I'm disassociating myself with that camp as long as that's being done. I literally just did that with the Libertarian National Party for a few years now. So I get it. It's, it wasn't the first time. It, it may not be the last time. Yeah. And the problem is when you have a small party, that kind of stuff stands out. When the Republicans and Democrats do something like that, and there are people who say all sorts of crazy things in the other parties. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you I was in the Republican Party. I know what kind of crazy things are said, but a yeah. lot of it just gets brushed aside because the party is so big and it doesn't get really noticed. It doesn't get yeah. attention. But when it's yeah. a libertarian party, everyone says, oh, this must be what the whole party is about. And so we have to be on – in my opinion, on much better behavior – than other people because well, we are under a microscope. Yes and no. Yes. All right, tell me tell me why not. Yes, in the sense of uh you know, even me, right? Like I'm ver- I'm I'm generally very direct and I'm a loving person. I care about I'm like super nice in real life. But my Twitter may not come off that way. So I do I, I get curating the message where you know, you're translating what you're saying in a manner most effective where it's not you're limiting the ability for the opposition to paint you a certain way for sure i think that's important however we can't neuter ourselves we can't be um you know this this i'm perfect i'm i don't have a i would like for someone to say here's why 
I think race is being made more of an issue than it is in America. That type of curating and the conversation that goes along with it, I'm 100% on board with that. Even if you say, yo, mass shootings aren't really, you know, they're less than 1% of all shootings. There's a way to say that where someone could say you don't care about the people that die in any mass shooting, right? And especially if you're going to get cut. So I think it's, you know, like you're going to get edited. I think there's a way to curate that where that can be articulated, but it cannot be to a point, you know, where you're watering down your aggression or whatever your individual personality type is. So, for example, I, I'm not going to cuss anymore on this podcast, right? Because Justin doesn't really cuss like that, right? That's just, that's just what it is. I'm, when in Rome, right? I'm going to be like, yo, I'm going to be, I'm going to still say things direct and aggressive, but I'm not going to cuss anymore. When I was doing that uh, speech over at the, you know, the caucus bash, Ron Paul's there. He's 86, bro. Like, I'm just not going to cuss. Like, I'm just not going to say a cuss word. I'm not going to be profane. Curating that for the moment and saying things where you're totally whitewashing yourself, that is very dangerous. Because I would rather be hated for who I actually am than loved for something that I'm actually not. So can I ask you, because there have been people um, very critical of you for some of the things you say. Yeah. And I even got pushback, you know, when when I said I'm going to have you on this podcast. Why are you having so, him on? So why – in what way – because you talked about bringing people together, right? Yeah. And you want – especially when you're talking to the, the Mises people and you're saying, look, we've got to reach out to our our siblings in the party and we got to make yeah. sure we're all together. But there are times, and I've seen them because people have sent me images. And again, I know you're trying. You say, "Well, I'm trying to just be myself, right?" In certain environments, but there are some messages that I've seen from you on Twitter and elsewhere where you're disrespectful to women, or you are. Some woman will say something, and you'll say, you know. I, I, I hate to repeat yeah, it on got, this podcast. Oh, no, you got to give me an example. You can't all right. Do- like they'll say suck. You'll say suck my. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'll not- say, I say, I'll, I don't say suck my, I say eat a dick. All right. What like, do you I, think? Like, like, like I told, and so we can, I, I'm disrespectful to anyone that's disrespectful to me. I also told a, a so-called libertarian donor the same thing that was disrespectful. I said, eat a dick. And that's okay, meant but- to be disrespectful. Do you think it also comes off as homophobic or uh, disrespectful? And sometimes you've said it to women too. Yeah, that it's disrespectful to that's, women. That's equality. When I'm being disrespectful to someone, I'm being disrespectful. I'm being disrespectful to people that are disrespectful to me. I never, never. I, I'm a firearm owner. I don't go into any situation initiating any type of aggression, whether that's verbal, any of that. Now, if you if you're dis- just lightly or even aggressively disagreeing with me, all right, cool. I can either – we can talk those points out. I can tell you where I disagree. I'll give you pushback. We can, I'm, I'm here for that all day as long as it's civil, even aggressive, right? Even aggressive. I'm here for that. I'll, I'll like do an entire flight of tweets back and forth with somebody, and the thread will be days long. But when it turns into blatant ignorance, blatant disrespect, I don't accept that. I don't. And I don't think the I don't think any American or human should. 
Now, now, sometimes do I say, all right, bro, you got it, and I'm going to step off. That's also when I say I block a lot of people on Twitter. When that, I, literally, the phrasing for that is, oh, you're about to get invite, invited to the block party, and now you're blocked. Cause I'm yeah, not, I know. I mean, I know people who have been blocked by you because they've been telling me, right. "Hey, tell Bosch to unblock me." But so wait, wait. I, so think about, so yeah, think go about ahead. Think about that for a second. These are people that I've blocked, and they've still been. Instead of going, "Yo, forget that dude," they go, "All right, man, tell him to unblock me," because they know that I didn't go into that scenario initially disrespectful to them. This is a response, and I, and well, I'm an aggressive person. I don't know all the circumstances, so I can't yeah. say I can't say how these things transpire or who is disrespectful to you in the first place. Yeah, my 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 view is I understand people getting upset online when people are disrespectful to you because that that happens to me all the time. You know, people mm-hmm. say something disrespectful, but isn't there a line you shouldn't cross? Like somewhere where you say, "Look, I'm I'm a figure. I'm a public figure." Mm-hmm. I I am representative of something here, and, and I know you said you're not like a Mises Caucus representative or anything like that, but um, you're someone that people within, I'd say, the Liberty Movement are looking to as a leader. Mm-hmm. Whether whether you want that role or not, that's how a lot of people look at it. Understood. Don't don't you think that there's a line you shouldn't cross in terms of how you respond to people, how you treat people, even if they were. Even if they were bad to you, because mm-hmm. one of like one of my views in life is that the the more powerful or influential party is the one that has to take the higher ground. Like you can't. I understand people coming at you, but and everyone at one point or another loses their cool a little bit and says something that they oh. regret. They that says something they regret. But if if I did something like that, I would regret it. And I'm just trying to understand where you're coming from. So there's two things. One, yes, there is a line. That's why I don't cross it. That's why you never hear me do it. You hear me disrespect verbally people that verbally disrespect me. That's not a that's not my line. Right. Um, I don't want to pretend as if. So, for example, if I'm I carry a firearm, if you attempt to take my life, I am going to eliminate the threat. That is who I am. If I can avoid that conflict beforehand and diffuse it, if, I, if we fail to avoid it, 1,000%, I'm going to diffuse and avoid, 100%. I'm a gun owner. A Twitter beef, because these are, mind you, you're talking about people that are talking about Twitter. Twitter. We're not, we're not, talk, we're not talking about like, because these are the same people that I've also, this is the part that doesn't come up. These are people I say, hey, man, you disagree with me. You are in Philly. This has happened. You're in Philly. I can be in West Philly in 10 minutes. Let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee. I've done that. Met with people, had the conversation in long format, not just the 240 characters or whatever that is, had long format. And this person posts video of me going, yo, I had this guy completely wrong. I had this guy completely wrong. He, he, we met, we sat down and we communicated. If you're not, you, you also got to remember a lot of these people aren't really interested in actual dialogue or um, like actually trying to get to the bottom of the truth. They're, they're not. They're interested in arguing and being disrespectful and going back and forth with you. And then after you go, you set your line and say, I'm going to block you or I'm going to say something disrespectful. Now, all of a sudden, they're the victim. Now they're having these callings for me to be the bigger guy, completely ignoring. Like you said, most of the times you don't see him. You just see the aftermath. Right. But the reality is those people then now all of a sudden want to play victim. Look, Maj blocked me. 
Maj has 105,000 Twitter followers. For some reason, there's a vast majority of my Twitter following that isn't blocked. So it's not about he blocked me because of a civil disagreement. You were disrespectful to me. So your answer, your, the answer to the question of, is there a line? Yes, that's why I've never done it. I'm not talking about nobody's wife. I'm not talking about nobody's children. I'm not talking, and mind you, these are things that have happened to me, that have people have said these things to me, right? People have attempted to dox me. You know, I, I, I'm also the person that says, after we get through this spat, you know, and after you're disrespectful, if you aren't blocked or whatever, whatever, after we move forward, like the caucus just took over the entire, you know, Libertarian Party. Hey, are you willing to sit down and be civil and move in direction? We don't have to have a conversation about those things that we clearly disagree with. Where are the areas that we can work together and advance the movement for liberty? But that part doesn't come out when these people are saying these things. These people for years said, misassociated mis mis me saying eat a dick. Because if I said it to a guy and he happens to be gay... But then they go, oh, that's homophobic. But then if I say it to a woman, is that homophobic too? So never mind the fact that in my community telling somebody, I'm from Philly. We say to our best friends in greeting, what's up, dickhead? People that we love. People, that's, a, that's literally a Philadelphia slang. Saying this to say, those same people ran with this trope that I was transgender phobic, homophobic, have no idea that my closest cousin is a transgender male that I hang out with in gay clubs, Woody's in Philadelphia, every chance I get. Because first of all, lesbian girls are really hot and gay clubs know how to party. But I'm not that part of the story is not going to get told unless it's a long format interview like this. You know, so I do think that there's a line. I don't think that I've cr I know that I have not crossed my individual line. But again, individual liberty means it's also individual. So somebody else that may say, you know, Justin, your profile is, is, is larger than mine. You, you have to be um, damn near perfect. The question that I would challenge there is, does America need or want or respond to um, someone? Uh, not, I'm not saying this towards you. you. I think you generally are upstanding, like squared away guy, right? But most politicians pretend to be stand up, squared away, polished guys while they're murdering millions of black people across the world. So I can't really jive with that. I don't think, I don't think that we need more of that. I, we need, I think we need somebody that says, listen, after a stressful day at this political office, I'm going to the local bar and I'm having a drink and not pretend like Obama pretended like he didn't smoke cigarettes. Barry, you smoke cigarettes, bro. Like just smoke cigarettes. I smoke cigars. I work out. I shoot guns. I think more Americans need to be um, in alignment, I think that's what, what Trump, Trump's appeal was. Oh, he's not a politician. So I think we go back and forth and go, oh, we need you to be more polished and refined. But if that person is doing the job for liberty and that means they are a little bit rough around the, the edges and they're not trying to be deliberately disrespectful to people that are not disrespectful to them. I think that authenticity we have to start appreciating and respecting if we say we want authenticity as our political direction goes, you know, towards because right now we're getting all this polish. It's but OK, we, we polish in a sinking ship. Look at inflation. Obama looks very presidential until he starts. Um, excuse me, uh, uh, Biden, excuse me, because huh, Obama, you know, but he looks very presidential until he starts talking or until you look at his policies or you look at the people that he's hiring or you look at it, you know, 
we right back in Somalia while we're polished? You giving 40 billion over there, but you can't give no money to the small businesses. I'll take the ugly with some actual, you know, legit things for our infrastructure more than the polish and it's complete like nothing, you know. So that's my view on it. Let's go to the callers. We've got quite a few callers lined up now. Uh, Jay yeah. Marks, Jay Marks back in. I don't know if it's an accident. <laughs> let's let's find out. Jay Mark, you got anything to say this time or? No, I I haven't figured out this app app. Oh, just (laughs) you're. I think you're accidentally adding yourself to the queue each time. It's okay. We'll just we'll remove you. Thank you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to uh, let's go to Chuck. Hey Maj. Hey Justin. How you doing? Hey Chuck. Good. What's up? Good. Good. Hey, um, so I have been, uh, I've been voting LP since 2000, um, Harry Brown back in the day. And, uh, I, one of the things <clears throat> that always kind of annoyed me about it was, um, that there would be quite a few people in the, in the Liberty movement or the Liberty educational space that never really wanted to identify with the LP. And that, that may have even applied to you, Justin Ren and, and, and successfully as a, as a Republican. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things that I, you know, I guess 2016 or, or 2017, whenever it, it first kind of happened, I was, um, I, I kind of admired about the, the Mises caucus is that they, you know, for better or for worse, we're, we're finally kind of taking, um, taking that space, that, that group of people and, and trying to, um, rally them to say, Hey, you know what? We don't really belong with the Democrats. We don't belong with the Republicans. So maybe we should we should um, you know try and uh, for, I don't want to say infiltrate this party, but become a part of this party. But maybe instead of becoming a part of it, it, it sounds like they've they've more set their sights on infiltrating it and and changing it. But but Justin, I think your point about appealing to a third of the United States. Um, is very well taken. And that includes a lot of people who currently identify as Democrats or Republicans. Um, and so you, you're not going to get there by, you know, the, the, the Mises caucus folks are not going to get there by alienating, um, the, the existing Republican base, certainly. Um, but, but if you look at these other two parties, you know, you, you look at the, the, the the um the spread right on on the way that these people might be philosophically um from one side to the other uh you have very disparate uh people and philosophies belonging to you coming together for a single cause and mm-hmm. i i guess what, what what are you guys thoughts what do you think why can't the libertarian party seem to do that why are we so focused on being more libertarian than thou so I don't think that I don't think that the Mises caucus is, is and I can't again, I'm not a representative. This is just my uh, you know, personal opinion based on my view of looking from the outside of looking in. I don't think that they're trying to alienate a Republican base. I think that the conversation, I think the Republicans and the Democrats are looking for something better based on these last two administrations, this administration and the one prior to. I don't think that the Mises caucus is I think every I think the Democrats that I know, love and live close to are asking me, what is this liberty thing about? Because this, I didn't vote for this. I didn't vote for these gas prices. And obviously it has more to do with oil producer nations, all of this other stuff. But from their perspective, 
It's, yo, show me something else. So I don't think it's about alienating the base. I think the, the current two administrations, again, we talk about Trump. He was not solid on the Second Amendment. I think a lot of guys in the NRA were like, yeah, he's our guy. But actual firearms policy coalition members, gun owners of America members, Black Guns Matter members were like, yeah, bro, we, we, not, we not rocking with this. So now they're looking for a home. And I think guys in the caucus and the liberty movement in general is explaining what libertarian is. And we've been here since the 70s type vibe. So I don't think that that's what they're doing. And I think that when we start to remove, again, Sarwark's position was perfect. The party will belong to the people that show up. And that's what happened. The people from the Mises caucus showed up, organized, and are going to put in a direction towards liberty. I don't think that, I, I think that's a misnomer or it's being painted as, oh, they're trying to alienate a base. Standing for what you stand for, you know, to, to Justin's question, right? Maj, you're aggressive, right? And I'm paraphrasing, but do you have a responsibility or an obligation to polish it up a bit? Where's the line? My line is my line and I haven't crossed it. I'm not even with someone that's a little disrespectful. I may be a little disrespectful to them, but I'm not going to overdo it. That punishment got to fit that crime. Right. So but me standing for what I stand for is me standing on my square. That's that has nothing to do with me going out of my way, you know, to attack somebody else's base or them in general. This is what I stand for. I stand for individual liberty. I stand for if you aggress upon me, I'm going to aggress upon you unless it's absolutely not worth it, so forth and so on. So I think that's the misnomer there in that regard. But I, I do think that as there's mo more cohesion and as, as more people can put some of those petty squabbles aside and then say, all right, cool, this is the area we're not going to have discussions about because we completely disagree on these three topics, but these other seven we completely agree with. Let's figure out how we can get work done. And I think all of it, most of them, forget just the, that one thirty, you know, third of America. I think a bigger chunk of America is going to identify with that because both sides are like damn near defecting. They, they're tired of it for whatever their subculture reason is. It might be guns with Trump. It might be um, economics with Biden or their wallet with Biden. But people are looking for something different. All we got to do is express what liberty is. And I think that's what the party is now starting to look like. I do have a concern that the party is too splintered in the sense that a lot of what the Mises caucus did was presented as a takeover to purge the party of people who weren't truly libertarian from their perspective. And I think that is a, a dangerous way of looking at it if you want to build a party. Um, I don't really object to parties competing like I don't object to the idea of Mises caucus coming in and saying look this is the way we think is right and we want to have more influence in the party we're going to bring our people to the um, to the conventions and we're going to win more delegates I think that's good and healthy for the party that kind of competition is good and you should come in and say these are my principles this is what I believe in this is what I'm trying to fight for where I think it goes too far and it, it cuts both ways it's not just um, the Mises caucus the other people do it too but this idea that the the other side of this, whoever it is, whether it's the Mises Caucus or what would be, I guess, formerly formerly the um, formerly the Prags, the right. Pragmatic Caucus, mm -hmm. um, whether it's either side saying that the other side is not good enough to be in the party, I think that's not going to work for us as a party because I don't. Think I've never seen anybody from the Mises do that. I've seen them well, go. 
I've seen I've seen them call out, hey, you guys are breaking your own uh, 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 bylaws to keep us out. I've seen them call that. But I've I, I've yet to see because I would have fell back. Don't hit me with a, a libertarian purity contest. I don't I, I think that a lot of caucuses or libertarians have wanted to be the smartest person in the room and doing that to your earlier question. I just think that I haven't seen that same energy from Mises I, like me. I have consistently been exact same when I made Black Guns Matter. I've consistently people have told me, yo, you know, you would get on the cover of more magazines if you did X, Y and Z. Yeah, but that's not what I'm into it for. The people are going to gravitate towards it because they're going to gravitate towards it. The same thing. Those people tried to get me to polish up a certain thing or be more pro Second Amendment. When I said things like, no, if you're if you have a, a serious mental debilitation, you need to get that fixed before you're I don't want you around me with a firearm. People thought that was the end of the world because that's not what a, a supreme Second Amendment purist would believe. And it's like, OK, cool. No different than a conversation about border security. I can have that conversation or abortion. I can have a nuanced and layered conversation where it's not so um, black and white. And I never got the pushback of that's not the exact libertarian way from anyone in the caucus. I just didn't experience it. It's, it just wasn't my thing. And I haven't seen them, me, and it may have happened somewhere else, but I haven't seen them project that onto others. All of the purity contests for me came from people that are the same people that wanted me out of the party and or speaking engagements. That's been my lived experience. Yeah. And I understand why Mises people are upset with the other people. I, I understand it. I'm not oblivious to that. I know that there were sometimes efforts to keep them out, and uh, sometimes uh, the rules were broken. For example, in New Hampshire, which I've criticized yep. New Hampshire, and at the same time, I've said, yep. look, the Mises people were legitimately the people who were in charge of it, right. and there was an attempt to prevent that. Right. So I it, I can be both critical of them and also think that they were the ones who were following the right process, not the other people. Right. But what concerns me is like I, I was listening to the new chair last night on um, on Michael Malice's podcast. Yeah. And what concerned me was she said something, and I'm paraphrasing, like they meaning the the left libertarians or the prags or whatever don't agree with us on anything except except maybe free market economics mm. and language like that is concerning in that i don't think it's true i don't think it's true that the prags only agree with them on free market economics and there is this attempt to to suggest that these people are so far removed from our ideals that it's a good thing we took over and they're gone and we hope more of them go. I mean, even suggestions that they go vote for Joe Biden now or something. Look, I'm not, I understand the tension, why yeah. there's tension between the Mises caucus and other people. Yeah. But I think if you really want to bring people together and this is not on you, I'm not suggest. Yeah. I'm not su talking about you here because, and you said you're not like an official representative of the Mises caucus and you're not an official representative of the party. But I think that those who are in charge of the party now have to be welcoming and be open and say, look, I know we have some differences, but actually we do agree on a lot of things. If they don't think that we agree on a lot of things, and I mean the whole party is, uh, you know, I, I think that's concerning because I think actually libertarians within the party, whether they're Prags or Mises, agree on a whole lot of things. And we ha we're only – 
a few percent of the population who are even active enough to be involved in the yeah we're talking about people like not that many people are even active enough within the country to say like hey i'm in the libertarian party Hmm. and if we're going to win elections we have to have not just the mises and the prags we've got to have a whole bunch of other people so are who are basically as people would say normies you know hmm. regular folks who aren't even that political yeah if you're going to win so, so I, I agree, and I'll give pushback. Um, I agree. I didn't hear the statement that Angela made um, on uh, Malice. I need to listen to that. I haven't listened to it. Um, I, was, I think I was on a plane coming back from Cali. Um, so I, I, need, I need to hear the context of how that was said, if it was sarcastic, da 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 But nonetheless, where I will agree is, yes, you do have to. That's what that speech was about when I was there at the, the event. You can't get caught in this, like, me, if me and my brother are fighting in the house, when we go outside— Nobody's hitting my brother. That's just not happening. You know what I'm saying? And so that was one of the words of caution, as well as I, I think maybe that was that statement could have been a little bit tongue in cheek or a little, you know, a little razzle dazzle. But I've, I've seen guys in the actual um, group say, look, we're going to try to reach out. There's there's a post actually in the Mises Facebook group where a guy that completely disagreed with Sar work on some issues He's got a picture with him at the actual at the last convention saying, like, look, bro, we, we, we similar to what I said that night. I just think that I don't think that um, someone that especially after a win, right, after a win, it's easier to extend an olive branch. It's harder to take that olive branch if you were trying to cheat. You lost and the winner is now extending you an olive branch. And I think unequivocally, I, I, I would be hard pressed to find somebody in the Mises caucus that would say no. Now, if you're going to come in and be a thorn in our side and try to just derail all of the problems, then no, absolutely not. That does not make sense. It just doesn't. You don't keep, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. You're like, no, that's not true. My enemies are over there. That's that's it. If you would like to not be enemies anymore because we've won this process, the same process that you're welcome to galvanize and take over on the next go around. That process is still available to you, right? But where are we finding the areas that we can work together? And I think that common ground is is bigger for the libertarian movement, as well as I think the part that gets left out of this conversation a lot is that that, that there's a lot of people in, you know, so-called, again, that phrase, normies, on Democratic side or the Republican side, again, that we are reaching. You just said she did. Michael My, Michael Malice has a huge podcast. Malice mm-hmm. is on Malice is on Joe Rogan. Uh, I don't know how many times at this point. I just did a podcast yesterday with a guy that's a million subs- one point five million subscribers from the bodybuilding and fitness world. Right? I get on the cover of magazines that get are seen by hundreds of millions of people. Um, from the Second Amendment community. These are the areas that we have to tap into. Urban America has not, forget saturation, we have not even penetrated urban America. Big Boy is a part of the largest and biggest hip-hop group damn near of all time, and most people don't even know that he's a libertarian. So we have room. We like the first stage of Bitcoin. We have room to tap into these other areas, these where they're, they're genuinely... They're genuinely, when I travel this country, I've been across the country, I don't even know how many times at this point. There is a, a, a dissatisfied and disappointed uh, large portion 
of everyday Americans that when you share libertarian ideology, and this is what all of these caucuses got to put their egos down for a second, we have to, uh, and this is where I'm agreeing with you, we have to attract and translate what liberty actually is. When you say to a person that is now putting in Cali $8 for a gallon of gas in their gas tank, when you say, Hey, under liberty, under free market, under X, Y, and Z. Hey, have you studied this guy? Have you da da da? And I'm not saying we got to go down the Anna Ancat, Rothbardian, Hayek, uh, 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 Rothbard. We don't have to go all of that with them, but to give those basic nuggets and translate that in that concept of liberty with folks, there is a lot of people that we're reaching that I don't even know if traditional media can do it as fast, you know, and. All it takes is one. Again, when this podcast comes out, three, four, five million people will see it. The pretty much the whole podcast was us talking about, you know, and these 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 dudes are black bodybuilders, and they like, yo, I never heard of that, but that's what I want. I'm changing my party like soon as soon as I can. That's what I want. I talked to Dr. Boyce Watkins, who has all of the degrees, taught at Syracuse and finance. He's like, he voted libertarian. He voted for Joe this year because we had a conversation on this podcast. So. Saying all this to say, that's the part that I think we have to factor in to grow by standing on our principles. And I agree with you 100 percent. That will not happen as effectively as it could and should if we are still focused, whether that's Mises, Prague, whoever. If we're if we can't put the gloves down and go, okay, cool, guys, we're going to agree to not talk about certain things. And we're going to agree to focus on these particular things here. I've issued and I'll issue it again. I think Sarwark did me dirty. I think he did. But even Sarwark with his antics at the convention, I want to say to that brother, listen, if you want to work together on the issues that you feel like the urban America could benefit from the liberty movement, we have to build that coalition. And I'm open to that. Whether he receives that olive branch or not is a whole different thing. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be critical of one side or the other yeah. because I have seen it on both sides of this. Yeah. I have seen that – I have seen some Mises people who don't want to really reach out to Prags, and I've seen Prags who don't want to reach out to Mises, and I think that is a problem. Yeah. And I'm not trying to call out any specific person. Um, yeah. I only mentioned the, the chair because she's the chair, so that, <laughs> that like – that like that is more significant, yeah. and she might have been saying it tongue in cheek. I don't know, but yeah. um, you know, but she did say something like that. I, I paraphrased it. Yeah. So let me go to the the next caller. Yeah. Devin. Oh, there we go. Hello, hello. What's up, Justin? Hi, Mike. Hey, Devin. How you doing? Not too bad. What about yourselves, guys? Pretty good. Good, good. Uh, first of all, I, I I wanted to pay much compliment. I, I I gotta say, man, I love your mannerism, speech, and uh, and and your terms of phrase. I, I've been listening to you talk from the the beginning of this conversation, and I, I just gotta say, I love what you gotta say, and I I like to think that you're a very positive figure for the liberty movement. Just from this short bit of musings I, I've heard from you, um, <clears throat> there's uh, and, and 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 I got a question to follow up with that. There, there's a popular video. Um, it's a bit of an old video, but there's a popular video of Morgan Freeman. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen it where the conversation was about Black History Month and race. And uh, his opinion on the topic of race, at least in America, is that we should stop talking about it or that we should at least talk about it less. Mm -hmm. And so my question to you is, um, do you think that, uh, that that's a positive principle for the Libertarian Party to adopt in, in the wake of things like 
the New Hampshire, uh, the New Hampshire Libertarian Twitter account making racially charged statements and all that? Um, again, I, I, the way that you're asking it. So, OK, so I'll, I'll, I'll give this analogy. I'm a gun owner that has a lot of firearms, but I believe that the human condition can evolve to the point where we don't even need these very primitive tools. I would love to be in that space where we didn't even I didn't have to. It's, first of all, it's uncomfortable carrying a gun everywhere. It's not comfortable. Right. I know the feeling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like I would love for the human condition to evolve to a point where everybody's like, come on, bro. Like we don't need these. Right. Humans. I mean, like globally, like that eternal peace. I would love that. And I think we can get there. And I do think after a certain point of evolution, a higher elevation of consciousness, I do think we get there. I don't think we're there now. Now, translate that into the conversation about race. When you're talking about black, let's take black farmers, right? I, I'm, I'm getting a farm ready, right? This last two years showed me that, like, yo, people in the cities aren't as tough as they say. They're not going to push back against liberty the way that they say. So I need to have a farm. I want to be able to grow my own food. When you're talking about black farmers that system systematically were removed from the farming and agricultural industry, that wasn't an accident. They were removed for race reasons. We can't act like we're in a post-racial America when currently that's the reality. When you when you're dealing with things. There's a great book called The Color of Law that dealt that deals with like gentrification and redlining and things of that nature. This was these were systems by, sponsored by the state that were based in race targeting black, you know, communities. I would love to be at a space when I'm at the gun range or when I'm at the gym. If, if I'm doing Brazilian jiu jitsu, if this guy's good, I don't care. And I'm it's same thing with dudes like if, if, if I'm learning from someone or I'm teaching somebody, if this guy's good, they might happen to be white. They don't care. I wish that translated more into the everyday thing. But when the state gets involved, the state highlights, sanctions and exploits racial divisions. That is a reality. And it, now, do I think that it, it is, is as much as mainstream media tries to make it to be? No, I don't. But you still can't tell me that um, school choice not being a thing and like corralling certain groups of people. My city, I live in Philly. Philly's very segregated by race. The black people live there. The Irish people live there. This doesn't mean that they're like everybody in Fishtown. If you're a black person still walking through Fishtown, they're going to be like, get out of here, darky. Like, it's not going to go that way. But it's still a form of segregation in that space. So I think that the balance is recognizing where it actually is where, how, and how it impacts economic policy, um, 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 uh, schools, education, so forth and so on. Acknowledging that and fixing it. And also not pretending like it's un like it's unsurmountable and it's every single place. So to Morgan Freeman's statement, I understand why he says that. But that's like asking rights are only really rights if they're like kind of reciprocated. Right. Like so if if like I I respect your right to exist, you don't have to have the gun or to defend your thing because I'm not going to do anything that's going to violate your rights. Right. But if that's not reciprocated. I got to deal with that you, or you got to deal with that. So it's similar in that regard. I don't think that um, just putting our head in the sand and pretending like, you know, it isn't a thing will solve it. I think actual policy or repealing a lot of these policies will remove some of those issues and then we can get back to it. I'm not I, I want the equity. And if you're doing things policy wise, meaning the state that impacts the com my community 
and damages that potential or that equity in general, we can't pretend like, well, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps when there's a system that did it. You know, so I, I know why he says it um, to give more of the higher, you know, Morgan Freeman's the older gentleman. He's got like a ranch with a lot of land. You know what I'm saying? He's he's probably, to my understanding, financially set. He's had a great career already and a continuing career. So I think he also um, is a little bit removed from the day to day, you know, struggle that the general public might be prone to because he's like literally the voice of God. So, like, <laughs> you know, so I, I get why he's I get why he says that. And I, I do think that it would we should um, take heed to that in regards to not allowing everything to be race based because everything isn't. But while also acknowledging that the systems that have impacted um, even poor white folks, like certain things impacted poor white folks. And we got to acknowledge that. So I think it's a balance there. But when you try to put it in a, a, a either or box, I think you could be um, treading on some very uh, thin ice. So, Maj, you're making the case that there is systemic racism and there is systemic injustice. It doesn't have to be just racism, but there's systemic injustice because there are libertarians who push back on this idea yeah. and they'll say, no, stop talking about race. And this is related to the question. Stop talking about race. Just talk about due process. Just talk yeah. about what's what's happening. Just talk about um, how the government is treating the people. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess you'd make the case and correct me if I'm wrong that – while we want to live in a colorblind world where we don't see color, there are still people who see it, and we can't ignore that fact. I think that it's not a colorblind world. and So no, I don't think we should live in a colorblind world. I think we should live in a world that appreciates each color and just respects the culture of each uh, color or group. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole like, oh, I don't see color. Yo, bro, like what are you, the colorblind? Like what are you, a dog? Like you <laughs> – you see, that's red, that's brown, that person is indigenous. Maybe you should find out instead of going, oh, they're Native American. Damn, does the term Native American even like, is that offensive to them, right? Not not on some like fake woke, but just on some like, yo, what's the best way for me to approach you? Or even down to, okay, I know this person may be indigenous or their heritage may be indigenous to these lands. What uh, tribe or culture do, are they from? I think that part is more of an evolved approach to it while you respect the culture now the guys that are saying race isn't an issue just talk about due process even what no matter what libertarian they are i'm going to challenge that libertarian because i'm going to say okay you're talking about due process but the rules are different the the amount of time that people was getting for coke and the amount of time that people in my community was getting for crack it was different we, we can't we can't pretend like that's not a case. Michelle Alexander wrote a great book called The New Jim Crow, dealing with the uh, prison industrial complex and how that played out. Gun control was literally started to stop black people from having the means to defend themselves. It's based in race. We cannot pretend. Now, again, this does not mean that it's like, hey, boy, what are you doing with a firearm? Like it may not be to that same level at this juncture in America, but the outcomes for black and brown people that are impacted by that, it's it's pretty much the same. Black people are impacted by it. You go to, I was just in Beverly Hills. They get a 90% uh, issuance rate for their license to carry. You go down to Compton, nobody's getting a license to carry You're in the same state. So I think the challenge here is to acknowledge, I think, I think the challenge here is to, some of those guys 
may not have done the actual study and they're tired of everything being called racism. And so since they're so tired of every, everything being called racism, because some people on the left just call everything racism. Oh, I didn't do my homework because of racism. And it's like, bro, stop it, right? They're so tired of that that they're not taking the time to look at actual things within a system, maybe not to the same extent now. They're not taking the time to actually learn about how this community is impacted by certain policies. And I think both sides, whether just calling everything racism or pretending like race and race based initiatives, even if they're worded not racially, um, that they don't either side doesn't exist. I think you're do, being a disservice when you start speaking in absolutes. You are becoming very dangerous. And so I think to, to listen to those people that may have a different lived experience that are willing to share from a from a data driven and a, 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 a like a, a factual space. I think we all grow a little bit. But to be closed off to that and or pretend like it doesn't exist. Nah, you, you selling yourself short. Do you get accused of wokeism? And and what do you think about. When Joe Jorgensen, our previous presidential nominee, she said you must be actively anti-racist, and she got a lot of heat from a lot of libertarians for that. Yeah. So what do you think? First of all, do you get accused of wokeism, and what do you think about what she said, I which is a common thing that's said by people on the yeah. left? I get accused of being a white supremacist, ironically. Like, it's the silliest thing ever. If I support, if I say, bro, that wasn't racist. Oh, you supporting white supremacy. So I'm used to I get called of the so-called wokeism. The, the irony is they don't they're not even using the word right. Woke is good. Woke means to be alive, aligned, paying attention and aware of your conscious decisions. That's what being woke is. It came from the movie The Matrix. When you're still asleep, you're in the Matrix. When you finally were enlightened and woke up, you could see things as they really are. So do you see a a parallel between the idea of being woke and the idea of being red pilled. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's these not, are that slang fits, right? When you're woke, you're red pill. When you got the blue pill, you literally go back to sleep, right? Or stay sleep, right? Um, so that's that that bigger context of the slang that's kind of being used wrong. I say the same thing about liberal. I'm like people. We use this term liberal now, but bro, classic liberals were about that freedom action bro like they were about liberty root words i mean i, I got an etymological dictionary so i'm not some of that's not going to slip past me but back to the point though do i get accused of the wokeism to a certain extent especially when the person doesn't allow a fuller conversation if i say a thing if i say all gun control is racist right Someone would say that's tired of just everything being called racist that has no history. They haven't read uh, Negroes in a Gun by Nicholas Johnson. They are not aware of the deacons for defense. They're not aware of Dr. Martin Luther King being denied a, a concealed carry permit. They have no historical reference. So they also don't know that, you know, gun control in this nation is like was during the slave codes, during like the French colony, like all of these different things. So I understand why. That missing information in conjunction with them feeling like somehow, especially if they're a white dude, you feel like, damn, everything that I do is under this microscope because I'm supposedly now the harbinger of death. And I just want to go to work and like come home and take care of my kids. You know what I'm saying? So I but because I have longer format conversations to give people an understanding of why I'm saying how I'm saying and the factual reference point the context and the nuance 
that's where that whole, oh, well, you weren't saying it that way. When I say all gun control is racist, I can show you the origin of it, the trickle down, the speed up into right now we're still black and brown people in America, the original targets of gun control are impacted most negatively more than any other group of people by the same gun control. So in that space, when I'm afforded that opportunity, the fake wokeism um, label or uh, uh, accusation folds pretty fast. And what about this thing about being actively anti-racist, which Jorgensen took a lot of heat for for tweeting it? Yeah. What do you What do you think about that line or that that way of thinking? Uh huh. I understand why she said it. Um, I understand why the disagreement happened too. If it looks like, if it feels like a pander, if it feels like you're pandering to the fake woke mob and pandering to the le- more uh, lefty, lefty Democrats, right? Then libertarians are going to go, bro, that's a pander. And their position may be that goes without being said. So I understand why she got the pushback, but I also understand in being empathetic. Like, I get it. It's like me saying, I, I'll give you an example. I tweeted, I said, you know, this this thing is running around the internet saying like, oh, it's, it's the bot talking point, right? Every blue check is pretty much like Democratic blue check or celebrity blue check is saying this, right? They're saying if a bunch of black people bought guns, the, the, the Republicans would rush for gun control so fast. Yeah, I've seen this. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? That's crazy because the vast majority of gun control was created, sanctioned, sponsored and pushed by the left. That's what happened. That's number one. Number two, those moments where there was Reagan pushing for gun control, where it did tie into race, the Mulford Act in 60, uh, 68, 65 to 68. That happened. But that's an outlier to the overall Democratic. They like Joe Biden been locking black people up for guns for since 50 years. <laughs> like he's had a 50 year career of it. And so and I made a tweet saying, you know, I think it's ironic. I'm going to start a 10 million dollar fund. Let's test this theory. I'm going to create a $10 million fund where we're going to buy every black person in America that doesn't have a gun that wants to learn and train. We'll buy them their first firearm. And guys, libertarians were like, I'm not buying nobody nothing because they were so hardlined on a principle of that's a handout. And I'm like, bro, first of all, you can't see the forest for the trees. What I'm sharing with you is we have a moment to expose the contradiction that the left is actually fostering onto people that identify on the right. We have a moment here where we can go, you guys can say, I'm not a racist. I'm putting into that fund to help more black Americans learn about the Second Amendment, learn about safe and responsible firearms ownership. But people got so caught on the lack of understanding that they were like, this, I ain't no damn communist. They can buy their own guns. Falling into the, um, like, if, if I was the left's PR, I would screenshot all of those people saying, those white males saying, I'm not buying them anything. Those people can buy their own guns. You're falling right into the left trap as opposed to utilizing this tactic and or strategy that would help further the movement and make you not look how the left is packaging you to expose the fact that the left has actually been more in alignment with this racist practice of gun control. So when Angela, excuse me, not Angela, when Joe Jorgensen said that, I understood why, because just saying I'm a good person, sometimes there needs to be action behind your words. But again, we're categorizing that very well robust statement or statement that could be much more fleshed out 
we're limiting it to a tweet and not a fuller conversation and not, you know, nuance, you know. So I understand why she said it, but I, abs- I also absolutely get why she got the pushback because if you're doing it and it comes off as a pander, our messaging should be liberty, getting people that understand a different subculture, let them speak this conversation about liberty to their demographic, bring us all under this liberty tent. But when it starts to become a pander, you are always going to get some pushback. It's just what's going to happen. Yeah, and this pandering can happen in both directions. Sometimes yep. sometimes people who are doing the pushback are pandering in a different way. Yep. So you got to so – yep. It's important to, to take note of that. All right, we're going to go to um, – thanks for, for your question, Devin. We're going to go well, thank to – Thank you guys for having me on. I, I really appreciate that, that that bit of the conversation. That, that was great. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, no you. problem. We got quite a few callers, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get through what I can. So we're going to go to Sheila. And please uh, try to keep your questions short so we can get through all this. We'll go to Sheila. Unmute yourself, Sheila. Sheila was there. You there, Sheila? She's muted. All right, we're going to go to David. And Sheila, if you want to get back in the queue, go ahead. But we're going to go to David for now. Unmute yourself, David. There you go. There we go. All right. It's uh, good to talk to you all. Uh, my question is, what concrete steps do you think the new leadership of the party can do to avoid falling into the same problems the old leadership did? Because I think there's a general tendency for power to corrupt people. Mm-hmm. And even if everyone has the best of intentions – They're going to fall into like thinking everyone's out to get them, wanting to purge the party, thinking that maybe they got to bend the rules for the greater good. And I think these are pretty universal norms for human psychology. And what are some things that they can do to prevent themselves from becoming the thing they were fighting? For one, having people like me, that's I'm not a representative. I'm I'm, I'm Mises adjacent. And I mean that in, in the most respectful way. Um, having people that will say, you know, hey, these people were you were fighting tooth and nail with them. But um, you guys got the people that want to work together after this fight have to work together. Um, that That's one part of it. The other part is just. Um, just not being just not not making everything adversarial. Everything does not have to be adversarial. I am allowed. I, I disagree. There are certain tenets that I might not agree with the party line on. And that does not have to be the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, And finding other people that align with that and move forward in that direction, so forth and so on. So I think if we keep a a healthy dose of um, objectivity as well as uh, purpose, like your ego for not wanting to extend an olive branch. um, And I'm not saying anyone has or hasn't, but the ego of not wanting to extend an olive branch. Is that in alignment with liberty? And in some instances, it may be. Again, if a person is going to try to sabotage you, it is, in, it is in the best interest of the liberty movement for you to not extend that olive branch or have that person around. But if it's not a damage to the forward movement, it just your pride is sore a little bit. 
then you got to put your pride down. So I think if they stay, if we stay in alignment there, I think there's some progress as well as lastly, just kind of making sure that you got the right people translating the message to the right communities you're trying, that you're trying to reach. You know, I can't speak to people in France if they don't in Chinese, if they don't speak Chinese. And so if we if we manage that, those three things, I think, you know, the liberty movement in general. And this this has to transcend beyond just any caucus, any group of caucuses, the liberty movement, the national party has to be in alignment with that concept. And then we'll we'll kind of like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll maintain our our, our uh, movement for much longer if we do that more so than if we don't. So I'll give you my thoughts based on my own experience being in Congress. If you want people to feel like a part of the uh, party and a part of what's going on, they have to feel like they have an opportunity to participate. Yeah. You can't have a system that is so top-down, so centralized, and this should be easy for libertarians because we believe in decentralization. Yeah. You can't have a, a system that is so centralized that people feel like they are never able to participate if they have a difference of opinion with anyone in leadership. So they have to feel welcome. And I think that the the leadership of the party has to reach out to people who want to stay involved in the party, who are not necessarily Mises people, and get them engaged. Say, like, can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? There's a lot of um, skills and, and talents and experience that other people have, and I think we need to make sure that we're continuing to engage those people and not losing them just because there's a difference uh, in some of the overarching principles. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So let's go to Adam. Or let's go let's go to Sheila. Let me try to get her in first. Let's see if it works. Oh, time. yay. Yay, it's All working right. now. Sheila. I'm so glad to be talking to you, Justin. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. I'm I just, glad I it worked out. I, oh, yeah, me too. Um uh, I just wanted to say quickly that that Justin is is one of these people that has natural political skill, mm-hmm. and um, you know he's he's a he was a survivor in Congress as a libertarian when like lots of people couldn't get there they just they just didn't have his skill to get that office they just right. didn't have it I mean I got to get props to the people who voted for him but you know <laughs> you have to have a certain level of skill to get that office right and Thank libertarians. You need to be cultivated. That's, that's something I wanted to mention. So I, I think that there's a, a political skills development club, after school club that needs to emerge where we do typical things like learn how to debate, mm. uh, nonviolent communication, yeah. uh, coalition development, team building, identifying uh, what the destructive processes are that serve zero people, no one. Um, yeah. demonstrate your development power. Like there's a, there's a business arm of, of nonprofit that no, a lot of people just don't get. I know I don't get it. Um, uh, and then finally there is the, uh, there's the properly confronting difficult people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one's an expert at that and there's plenty of crazy people periodically. <laughs> it might be me one day. Um, <laughs> But, you know, because I'm a salty person uh, on occasion, so I'll, I'll forgive you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure if someone digs 
far back enough in my tweets, they'll, they'll manufacture some sort of uh, public ill. So it's a discouraging time to try to, to be engaged in, in public office. So I only have one real question um, for, for the both of you. And it's like, who wants to disarm us right now? And I'm going to say it's some version of Justin Trudeau. You know, mm. and, and he's not even our our countrymen, but you have to understand who is trying to disarm you. Who wants to disarm Americans? And that's really important. And and so is that, talking is that, to that person, getting them in that's one that's my only question. And so how, how do you deal with that person? The person that wants to disarm me, I usually deal with them from a state of empathy because I don't really recognize them as anti-gun. I see them as a person that wants trauma to stop. Death is ugly. Like a shootout is insane. If you, I hope no, if you know, if you've never been in one, Sheila, I hope you never are. Um, and it's ugly. So like the need for wanting to stop trauma, you know, it it's, sometimes can be a knee jerk reaction to say, you know, um, we have to do something. And in reality, you don't just have to do something. You have to do something that actually works. Right. So, um, that I try to engage that person that way. Now, obviously, there's some people that are just like, we want control and domination. We want a monopoly of firearms in the hands of the state. I do absolutely believe and know that to exist. Um, but generally, the general public that will come across, they kind of like are just like, hey, how do we stop this from happening? Right. Um, and that you just got to approach them with the data and the facts. Like earlier, we talked about, you know, mass shootings make up less than one percent. And that sounds harsh. Because it sounds like you're saying, well, a half percent of death is okay," And you're not saying that. But you've just got to kind of like lead with empathy for the general public that you're going to deal with. Find out where their trauma is. And if they feel the empathy, it's our solutionary lifestyle. We have a three pronged approach. One is empathy. Second is facts, because if I present facts to you and if I haven't established an empathetic rapport with you, it comes off cold and you don't know that I care about you yet. Right. So first is empathy. Second is facts. And then third, we come up with the solution together. Right. So that would look something like, you know, if I know one of my friends is uh, afraid of guns. Right. I'm not bring. I'll say, hey, man, I'll make a joke. Hey, man, you know, I lock my firearm in the vault in my truck. If somebody kills me in your house, man, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to be really mad at you in heaven. And then over time, they see that I'm making that empathetic sacrifice for them. And I might come in a week. The next two times I come over, I might the third time come over with a magazine. And I'll be like, yo, man, don't get mad at me. But I left. I brought a magazine. My gun's in the car, but I forgot I had this magazine in my pocket. And then now they're asking questions about the magazine. Well, that's not the gun, is it? No, it's not the gun. It's just the magazine. Then they might want to know how that works. Now we get into the facts. You've, you know that I'm empathetic about you don't want guns in your home. You don't. It's not my house. I'm going to respect your property. Right. Then it becomes, hey, if you're curious. I can tell you about this magazine. I've eased them into that because they're generally curious. Then we can get to the facts of the magazine, what it does, what it does not do, what a firearm does. Well, well, you left your gun in the car. If it's important. Yeah, I have a vault in there that's drilled into the actual console. It can't come out. It's you know what I mean? And giving that. So you got to lead with that empathy, then share facts, then present that solution together with them. Right. Um, And that but again, that just generally works for people that are experiencing trauma or the fear or loss or seeing these very traumatic things that works there. There is no discussion to be had with someone that is just hell bent on not respecting um, your constitutional or human 
right to have a firearm to defend life. Yes. If that person is a true doe and they just like, right. yeah, we're just doing this. There's, I have, I can't, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do with that person. So that's kind of like my approach. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mosh said it quite well. I mean, there's a difference between everyday people who are often uh, scared, concerned. They see things that happen. It's it's on the news, and they don't really understand where you might be coming from as a gun owner, like why you would want to have a gun. So it's a matter of empathy and understanding where they're coming from and trying to build a relationship. Yeah. But there's that's very different from what the government often does. Often these government officials are coming in and they have an agenda of right. disarming you for a very different reason. Yeah. And the the very reason we have the Second Amendment in place is to prevent the federal government from having that kind of power versus the citizenry. So that's that's a, a distinction that's important. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. guys. Thanks, Sheila. Hey, can we can we uh? Cause I gotta get on this joint in like ten minutes. I, yeah, yeah. I don't even I don't even understand how an hour and a half has like went. <laughs> That's how it always goes on this thing. Yeah. Um. So can we take the two more and then tap out? Yeah. I got this yeah. My, Not my a pop- problem. Yeah. Not a problem. Let's go to Richard and then we'll we'll go to Adam and then we'll call it a a day. Okay. Richard. Hey Justin. Hey Mosh. Hey, what's up? Hey, uh, I'm a lifetime member, both nationally and at state. Uh, I believe that liberty is grown locally, so I'm less concerned with uh, what's going on at national and all the issues, you know, the drama that's going on. Uh, yeah. What's your message to people about uh, the, the issues and the infighting that we're hearing? These newcomers that we want to inspire, but also to these people that are halfway out the door, these people of experience that we need to stay so that we can continue to grow this liberty movement. Uh, and, because and, personally, I was there for yeah. your for your uh, speech, Maj, yeah. and and I'm trying to prove you wrong. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I I think that um, decentralization, in the sense of if you're trying to stay away from some of the drama, focus on city and local. Uh, excuse me, local and state, and empower that way. Because to be perfectly honest, the Mises, you know, sweeping that was an example of decentralization. It just linked up with people that were in those particular states and highlighted those people, understood the messaging, and put the work in. They showed up, and it was literally kind of like a decentralized thing. That's how Vietnam beat America in the war over there. You couldn't find out. There was no, like, headquarters for the Vietnamese rebellion. It wasn't like, yo, they're over there at that McDonald's. Like, it wasn't like a thing. So... I think that portion of it is important. I think that also um, to the people that are kind of like one way out the door, this is the perfect time you, you're out the door because you may were you 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 were dissatisfied with leadership. Now there's new management, so there's new management. So like, let's refresh this. And if you start to see something different, one of the examples that I use is, um, you know, don- donors in like two days. I think they raised like maybe like 400k or something like that. That's that's an example of people don't donate to things that they are like, eh, unless they absolutely have to. They just doing the bare minimum. But to have that fresh influx of capital, as well as um, a, a more empowered feeling of that, that that Ron Paul type of energy, 
I think that was very important. I think it is very important. So the people that are kind of like stepping out, you can show them that like, yo, this is this is kind of going in that direction just to kind of give them a bit of a revamp. I would say that when you're in a political party, you're going to have people with differences, sometimes significant differences. The issue is, are they closer to you than they are to the Republicans and Democrats? And if they are, then I say you welcome them. Uh, Look at the Democratic Party, where in the same party you have Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders in (laughs) one one party. Uh, In the Republican Party, you've got Lindsey Graham and Rand Paul in one party. So – This is not something unique to the Libertarian Party. Any kind of party, if it's going to be big, if it's going to be successful, you're going to have people with different views. And the question is, can you get along enough because you share enough in common that you still have more in common than you do with the Republicans or the Democrats? And and that's why I would encourage people, let's try to work together to the extent possible. That doesn't mean we should be – you know, not concerned when we're – really cruel to each other like we should be upset about that stuff let's let's try to be kind to each other to the extent possible but and it's okay to be upset about things with people in your own party but we we're going to have to get along so that we can take on these other parties if we want our ideas to be put into into practice in this country so let's go to agreed thank uh, you john yeah thanks richard let's go to adam And there we go. Hey there, Justin. Love hey. from Ohio. Don't go, don't go Buckeyes. Just say that right off the bat. Oh, go blue. And, but to kind of cap off the theme that has been the last few weeks following the convention is the idea of like differing viewpoints in the LP. And of course, while I definitely agree with Richard that the local stuff matters more, the national level stuff does play an impact onto that. So looking into the future a little bit, Obviously, I understand that you're not running, and I respect that entirely. In fact, I actually admire you for it. But in regards to, like, the candidate that can unite the party, like, what would you say is the criteria in terms of being able to unite? Mm-hmm. For my terrible wording of the question. So is the question for me or for Maj? Both. Maj, um, you want to take that? Uh, yeah, we could, I could do it. Um I think the person should be uh, charismatic. I think the person should be well-versed in liberty. I think the person should be brave to um, address issues that are in defiance of what the generally accepted uh, standard or talking point is. I think that that person would also have to be willing to say um, some things, maybe in a more, you know, for lack of a better term, polished way, say them some more aggressive things like, you know, uh, 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 in the Fed statement or at least audit the Fed is like a dude, this is a thing, you know, especially at this. I mean, at this point, we damn near hyperinflation. So having those conversations in a, in a manner with a charismatic person that is not a, afraid to kind of r- ruffle the feathers of even his own base. I think those things are important. Um or other bases, but that person still should be able to translate. Uh, I should I should be able to understand your breakdown of I don't know Austrian economics very simply. You know what I'm saying, and and or whatever type of insert whatever thing that could get very you know whatever. I think when we find a person that can do that, that looks like a politician, but actually knows more than a lot of politicians actually know. 
like people that actually read bills, like, you know what I'm saying? Or at least say, yo, most of my colleagues didn't read this bill because it's 900 pages. It took me two days. You know what I'm saying? Having that person that's willing to be a little bit unpolished in those areas. I think those are some of the holistic approaches um, that I think would be good. Uh, and, 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 and I don't think that that's a job that very, while keeping your cool, right? I don't think that that's a job that a lot of people can actually do. Um, I think I think the knee jerk reaction. I remember joking when I was younger and Obama ran for president and I was on board at that time. Right. And I was like, I remember some of the questions that they would ask him. And I was like, man, these are such disrespectful questions. And I was like, man, kudos to that guy, because, man, I might have had to approach that dude the way that he said that thing to me if I was in that seat. Right. And so I think that's a, that that person has to have all of those skills that I mentioned or a, a, a big chunk of them while maintaining their cool. Um, and on a libertarian side, it has to be you got to like, yo, bro, these wars, so-called wars, conflicts, unnecessary stuff. You got to be willing to stand up to that Raytheon machine. And if you can't do that, then, bro, <laughs> I don't know if you're really going to be. Like that's kind of like one of the libertarian things, like not doing the war thing. So if that person can translate that, then I think that person's the right person for the job. Yeah, I agree with much of what was said there. I think you do need someone who's very charismatic, someone who's bold, someone who's willing to challenge the status quo, someone who I think has some experience in it. Because when you take – I've seen so many people run for office who talked about all sorts of principles they believed in, and then when you put them in the mix, you find that they don't actually have those principles anymore. It's yeah. very easy to get derailed. But the other thing we need, besides someone who's going to be a principled libertarian, is they have to be able to translate libertarianism to typical people who are not thinking of themselves as libertarians. And that is a challenging thing. It's one thing to go onto uh, podcasts or shows or whatever where you're talking to the same people or even to go to libertarian conventions and you're talking to libertarians. It's another thing to be put in a room full of Democrats who are going to ask you hostile questions or Republicans who are going to ask you hostile questions and be able, being able to field those questions with, with reasonable answers. You have to remember that a lot of times when you're put into situations like, like I was as a congressman and I was put into town halls Someone would ask me a question at a town hall in a room full of people who some are very hostile to me, some are very open to me, and most of them are just there to listen. And I think the mistake people make when they run for office or when they're in office is they get a hostile question and they think the audience is the person who asked the question. Right. And their audience is actually the other people in the room who are observing. Yeah. And – there unfortunately aren't a lot of libertarians right now who have that practice. So I think that's important that we find those people who do have that kind of experience, who can go out and and put a message out there that will resonate with people who aren't necessarily the expected or natural audience. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, and to your point, Justin, it's, it's, it's in essence like, when we're having a conversation, I'm not trying to convince the person that I'm debating. I don't, I'm, they don't even really exist. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm to the audience. Like, I, like it's, I saw this movie, um, Thank You for Smoking, and his son was doing, he's like a um, yep. big tobacco, right? And his son's like asking him about this question. 
And he's like, well, son, you got to argue the position correctly. And he's like, I'll give you an example. Okay, if I asked you, what's your favorite ice cream? And he's like, strawberry. He's like, so strawberry for you is the best thing. Yes. So to you, strawberry or nothing. He's like, yes, it's the best one. He's like, well, I don't believe that it should just be strawberry. I believe that it should be chocolate. Or if you believe in vanilla, it should be vanilla or butter pecan or whatever. And that's the definition of freedom. And the son says, well, you didn't convince me. And he's like, yeah, because I'm not trying to convince you. I'm convincing them, like the audience listening. And I don't think that the general public that does run for office, I do hostile media like all the time. And it's like we on Vice. And it's like that is 100% accurate what you're saying because it's like, bro, like I'm going into Brooklyn, the new Brooklyn, not the old Brooklyn, super liberal. I'm talking about pro-gun stuff on Vice that's it's being spammed to a million people or uh you know, uh, uh, shown to a million people and they'll ask a question and they'll, people will vote first. And all of the answers were overwhelmingly anti-gun. <laughs> and then we'll have the conversation about it. And then it'll switch back from his 80% yes to 80% no. And that is a skill set that to be honest, man, not even just libertarians. I don't know if a lot of people have that skill set and it's something that has to de- be developed over time. And like you said, with, with, you know, your particular brand of experience. Well, Maj, we had a good conversation. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on. We covered a lot of topics, and I know you're probably exhausted from all this, but... <laughs> but... No, and this was great. This was great. I just got to do another one in like uh, 13 minutes. So, I, nah, this was dope, man. As soon as this is up, um, it's all over the place. Thank you to everybody that, that called in, um, that, that tap, that's going to tap in. Make sure y'all are sharing this. These are the types of conversations that need to actually happen because people will have an idea of you from your tweet and then like never had a conversation with you or whatever. Or like, I know that people look at pictures of you, Justin, and they like, this dude's mean. He's mean. And I'm like, nah, bro. He's like, look, he's like super nice. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't know, man, but I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, whenever, man, whenever you want to uh, uh, have me on, I'm here. And uh, I, 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 I make, I will make myself available to whichever way you're going in the future politically, man. I think you are a very principled man. Um, I think that um, your ability to, like the uh, caller said, the ability to maintain polish under stress is is a situation uh, that most people don't have. Few of us do, but I, I just really appreciate you, man. And even even asking the questions and pushback and having it from a, such a civil and respectful and and, and fuck, like gentlemanly perspective i honor and and appreciate you for that my brother thanks so much and thanks to everyone who called in today you had a lot of great questions and and thanks to everyone who listened yeah thanks mosh peace i'll talk to you in a bit